Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and you're back with our more or less bi-weekly. Sometimes we fudge <laughs> a little bit on the appearance date as I'm sure you're sitting there with bated breath thinking, oh no, they're a day late. But, <laughs> but anyway, we're back more or less on schedule to talk about what we've been reading, uh, what we're going to read, what we thought about it, and we encourage you to reach out with what you're reading. We've had a lot of fun hearing from several of you over the past few weeks about um, what you're reading, what you're thinking about the show, and it's, it's been really, really fun. Yeah, it's it's one of the coolest parts of it. I mean, there is this element of recording this and thinking, is is there anybody alive out there to steal a Bruce Springsteenism? <laughs> so if you are, please reach out to us. Uh, no suggestion, too big or small. Okay, Joe, you go first and tell us what you have finished. Okay, uh, not as much as I would like, which hopefully just means in two weeks I'm going to come back with one and you're going to go, wow, all of that, because <laughs> there are a great many things I'm working on. Uh, but two books that I have finished. Um, one is The Wire to Wire Reds by John Arardi and Joel. I never can get Joel's last name right. Luckhaupt, I believe is how it is. I've met Joel, heck of a nice guy. I bought a book from him at Books by the Bank, which is in Cincinnati. Uh, and this was another book that Joel wrote, and he wrote it with John Arardi, who I've met because he did a nice presentation to the Louisville Sabre Society of American Baseball Research chapter about his book on Tony Perez, which I will try to read at some point. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the Wire to Wire Reds uh, is the only Cincinnati Reds World Series winning team of my lifetime. It was in 1990. Uh, the year I first saw a game, which I'm sure was undoubtedly the impetus that drove them to <laughs> glory. Now, th- th- it was this really like uh, underrated out of nowhere team. In fact, the year before, uh, Pete Rose had been the manager and, of course, got run out of baseball because of the whole gambling scandal. So the 1990 Reds were kind of an afterthought. But they started the season, they won either their first eight or their first nine games, and they were in first place the whole way. They just never fell out. Um, A lot of guys who were not particularly great players had really good years. And John and Joel uh, did a good job of kind of going back through the major highlights. It uh, it did a a good job of bringing me back to being nine and ten years old again. (laughs) I did actually find the game that I went to as I'm I'm reading about it, and I'm like, I think that was the game. Uh, A catcher named Joe Oliver had probably the game of his life, and... If only I'd gone to see more Reds games, Joe Oliver would have overtaken Johnny Bench, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, as it is, I was there for his day of glory, I guess. I miss going to see baseball. Cincinnati is a place we've gone to see quite a few games. Well, yeah, and, and the old Riverfront Stadium, you know, one of those cookie-cutter artificial turf. Not, not a beautiful building, but also one where in 1990 I sat behind home plate about a dozen rows deep and the tickets were, I think, $8. Now, granted, <laughs> there's been some inflation since then, but it's hard to buy a minor league ticket for $8. Right, right. But anyway, Joel and, and, and John took me back to the, the glory days for a little reminiscing. And speaking of glory days, book two. Bruce Springsteen, The Stories Behind the Songs by Brian Hyatt. Now, I've read a lot of books of this type. I read a Beatles one. I'm actually working on a Bob Dylan one. Uh, imagine that. It's real thick. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it'll be talked about in the not-distant future. I will say Brian did a better job than most people. It's it's a big undertaking to take an artist who's made 30 or 40 years of music and go song by song through their catalog. Goodness. Uh, yeah. And the thing that I'll give Brian credit for, Brian 
really focused in more on the stories, what the songs were about, where they came from. And he wasn't technical. The Dylan book, I'll, I'll uh, spoiler here, two thirds of the way through, I'm not as impressed because it's much more, well, it's Charlie McCoy playing the bass fiddle on this song and, and this guy's playing a Martin D28 guitar. And, yeah, uh, you don't care about the that. The technical stuff is irrelevant. The, the, the you craftsmanship. Want the meaning. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and Brian Hyatt, I felt like, did a good job. He also, I'll give him credit for going up through the current time. One of the things that's an issue with Springsteen is there's any any amount of criticism of the 70s stuff or the 80s stuff. But he went all the way up through High Hopes, the, the new album, and, and the one before, uh, Western Skies, is not on there either. But that's just when he did the book. Uh, maybe he'll do a new version and update it, but... Uh, Enjoyed his thoughts on the song. He's very readable, very quick, and uh, a, a nice book. Uh, uh, it was cool. Some of the stuff I know in the story of American Skin, which is a song that I know you appreciate, too. Mm-hmm. He actually got to kind of use his own experience. He was the guy who had reached out to the chief of police, and oh. they had said uncomplimentary things about Springsteen. And then oh. he got to reach out to Springsteen, and Springsteen was like, well, huh? where did that come from? <laughs> Uh, so, so that one in particular was really interesting because he was kind of in the middle of it and he, he had to break the kind of journalistic convention and put himself in the story, but, huh. uh, but he did. Your books this week have me all nostalgic because I also miss concerts and in particular mm-hmm. Springsteen's concerts. Oh, sure. They're the best. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I only read two books over the last two weeks, which is unusual for me. I usually read a lot more. I don't know about you, really. This but... is my year. I'm overtaking <laughs> you. No, I'm not overtaking. I just, I, I've been tired after Christmas and just everything just sort of winds down, and I've just, I just have not. I've been a lot of family stuff. Yeah, books. it's yeah. it's been kind of a crazy time. There's also been a lot of Mario Kart. There has. <laughs> Take it um, away from my well. I mean, there's there's no like retail therapy during the COVID era, so there's Mario Kart therapy. Yeah, our kids and like I'll play it a lot with our daughter, and then I'll I mean, beat you. Words often heard around our house. Crap, I was gonna play the Nintendo Switch, but one of kids is now playing the Nintendo Switch. You know. Uh, anyway, all right. But the two books that I read were absolutely fantastic. Cannot say enough good things about them. The first one, Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. I told you the other day, maybe one of my top favorite books, like, period. Well, Not your, just your, this year. your effusive praise and the brief occasional snippets you couldn't help but read me were enough that. I'm not going to let you dive too deep on this because I'm going to read it and we're going to talk about it in more depth because yeah. it sounds like it's that kind of book. I'm just going to give sort of an overview today then. But um, I'd heard about Wendell Berry for years, run into him at some mm-hmm. book events, never really talked to him, always thought, oh, I should go over there. I should buy a book. I never did. So I got this one for Christmas. And um, in the first page or two, I looked at you and I said, this book feels like home. Like the tone of it, the voice the places, the people. It is set in our home state, so that helps as well. But I just I was captured immediately because of that. Then um, it, it's a very literary book, very quiet book. If you are looking for a thriller, this is not what you're looking <laughs> for. Um, but it follows the course of Jaber's life and the way that he changes. It's a book about home. It's a book about family, friendship. It's a book about faith. It's a book about finding your place. Um, And in the end, ultimately, 
it is a book about heaven and um, it's beautifully written. The characters are wonderful. We're going to get into it more later. I'm just having to hold myself back on this one right now. So you better read it fast. So I, I would always, I think I told you this, I, I have run into Wendell Berry several times. Kentucky Book Fair is one of those places where I would inevitably see him. And I've never read a ton of his stuff. But there was always that moment when I would see Wendell Berry there. It's like in 1776 when somebody comes in and gapes at Benjamin Franklin. And he looks up and he says, what's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a great man before? <laughs> you know, kind of like, oh, uh, that, that's a great man. I'm just going to you know, kind of take up the aura. I mean, I talked to the former governor. That was no big deal. He was there. He just went over and chatted with him. But Wendell Berry was different, you know. <laughs> well, he's, he's somebody I've always heard of. I thought of him as mostly a poet. And while I have slowly grown to to love poetry, I did not love it that much for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I thought he probably wasn't for me. And then over the past year, um, Andrew Peterson is a big fan of Wendell Berry. He wrote about him in Adorning the Dark. Um, There are other authors and then just people that I've heard say lately that they've read his stuff and just how amazing it is. And finally, you just, you got to try it. Well, he's very nature heavy. And that's something that's always intimidated me because I'm an idiot about nature. (laughs) I couldn't tell... You know, an oak but from an elm, but you don't have to know those things for his book because it's more right. about the appreciation of the natural world, the way we are all a part of the natural world. It's uh, anyway, it, you've got to read it. You just got <laughs> well, to I read will. it. So, all right, feel more, free to join in if you like. <laughs> yes, and let me if you have read his or if you've read Hannah Coulter or anything else by him, please let me know. Hannah Coulter, I think, is where I'm going next for him. Okay. The other book that I read at the same time is called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by Catherine May. I almost always have a work of nonfiction and then a novel going on at the same time. Usually they're opposites. So that's kind of a nice balance. This is one of the first times that I can think of in a long time that I have read two books together, a nonfiction and a novel that really kind of sing harmony. And that has been wonderful, especially since both of them came at the perfect time. Like right after Christmas in the heart of winter, I really needed to read Jaber Crow um, and all the things that it was about, but I also needed to read Wintering. This is a story that Catherine May set. It's kind of memoir and it's kind of um, informational, Um, but she set it over the course of winter from what I typically think of as like fall, you know, October, November, and then on in through March is where the book ends. And she talks about what winter does to us. Um, you and I have talked a lot about seasonal depression and just how sometimes hard it is January and February. It's a slog. What do you have to look forward to? Um, she talks about how in those times, like there's, there's the winter of the world. There's also the winter of our souls and often they converge and the importance of letting ourselves feel it while we try to work out of it instead of trying to push it away, find something better to look forward to. Look into this winter and find the gifts that that gives you and then what you can learn from that as you move on through your lives. It also is beautifully written. Um, really, really wonderful book. Strangely, this whole thing has reminded me of my father's friend who who had the opposite issue. Uh, and like the dead of summer when the heat was oppressive, she'd crank the air conditioning as high as she could and put on Christmas records. I remember hearing <laughs> those stories. So maybe sometimes you just got to trick yourself. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But winter is hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, winter was very hard for the author of this book. And um, the way that she looked to get through it, to learn from it, to let it shape and mold her was really inspiring to me. If you are somebody who sometimes struggles with winter, 
um, you might really like this book too. All right, we ready to move on? Let's. All right, so the book that we read together is one that I mentioned last week. It's A Promised Land by Barack Obama. And I have to be candid and say that I am not yet quite finished with said book. I've been working on it. I'm far enough along that I don't feel foolish trying to talk about it. Uh, but it, it does bear mention, as Trevor Noah said when he was interviewing him, I caught that the other day, and he's like, this was 700 pages, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's hard great. to get around that, but, but it is 700 pages. I feel like we should preface our conversation about this by saying that when you were a little kid, you wanted to be a president more than anything else. Oh, yeah. Totally into the presidents. You had them all memorized, mm-hmm. all their cabinets memorized. Um you were a political junkie. You were a kid who was sitting up at night um, on election day, counting the electoral votes as they came in. Yeah. So, so it has been a bizarre process. Yeah, from from being the kid. Not not only the colonel. I would study the whole elections. I would sit there and look at the eighteen eighty eight election and wonder what we could extrapolate about that that would teach us about the 1988 election and the answer seemed to be absolutely <laughs> nothing but, uh, <laughs> well, but these were the kinds of things that I thought about in Jenkins, Kentucky. And, uh, my point is that presidential history has been big for us, um, for this family. When our daughter was little, like kindergarten, mm-hmm. she also wanted to be a president and you've got a picture I think in your office yeah, still. Yeah, it's up in my office. Yeah. Um, on career day at school in kindergarten, she decided she dressed up as a president like we put a tie on her we gave her my (laughs) oversized blazer for her to wear um she waved a little american flag all day so the when she became interested in this barack obama was the president Mm -hmm. and she wrote a letter to him he wrote back to her uh you know whoever does that at the white house wrote back to her sent her pictures and those pictures are framed and on her dresser to this day so we literally see barack obama every day of mm-hmm. our lives and i have nearly toppled barack obama as i've tried <laughs> to turn off her little lava lamp but there, that's another story there have been times that i've suggested hey you know let's, let's put those pictures up let's do no those are her presidential pictures so um we we feel like we are more familiar <laughs> with with former president obama than we are maybe because we have have seen his face every day. Well, and just the the timing of it. I mean, the the two presidents since both much older. Um, Obama was the first president who was somewhat near our age. I mean, not that that we're as old as he is, but he's younger than our parents, and you know that that generation gap kind of was defining. I mean, we were in our, our late twenties. Uh, but he wasn't that much older than us, and and everybody before and everybody since has been that much older than us. So th- there's that aspect of it too. I mean, well, I mean he's a Bob Dylan fan for one thing. <laughs> I mean, you know that 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 there, there you go. Although Jimmy Carter is too, if if I'm going to throw that around. But but just well, the fact that that kind of cultural thing would resonate with him. Yeah, he's, he's more of a contemporary. Well, and you had read lots and lots of books about presidents. I was never as interested in presidential history as you were. I read many of the little kid biographies of, you know, like mm-hmm. George Washington, John Adams when I was little. But um, I, I just had not been as into it as you were. I, did, I do remember reading Bill Clinton's autobiography when he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my life, I believe. I believe so, yeah. But I, I don't remember being very interested in it. I just thought it was something I should read. Mm-hmm. Um Barack Obama was probably the first president that I was personally invested in because while I had voted in elections before his election, one election, mm, two, two, okay, yeah. um, 
his was the first one where I actually, like, I I was, you know, settled somewhere and putting down roots and, mm-hmm. and, and paying bills. And we were about to become parents. Um, yeah. And so I felt very invested in what was going on in our country and our government in a way that was different from when I had voted previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was the first this was the first pre- his was the first presidency that I, as an adult, really followed carefully for all eight years of it. So so because of that, um, a promised land, which is the name of the book, really one of the things that stands out for me, re- regardless of how you feel about Obama's politics or his presidency, I think it's an interesting book because of the way that it kind of contextualizes everything into a coherent narrative. And that's one of the challenges. I think for any presidency, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, but but certainly in, in these days of information overload is, is everything skews off in 20 different tangents. And it was useful. I said to you kind of in the same way that the John Meacham book about John Lewis helped contextualize civil rights and put it in kind of a package where it was consumable. Uh, Obama does similar work here. He does a good job of kind of separating out the disparate threads so that he can then get down to okay, here's where we were on this. Here's what I wanted to do. Here were the issues and problems that came up. Here's how we resolved them or didn't resolve them or compromised, you know. And that is is what I think will make it a historically significant book, whether you read it for pleasure or not, to, to just have that kind of condensing of a lot of information into a coherent narrative right. is, is helpful. I was trying to follow so many like the the things that he wrote about in his book, I could remember. I, yes. I tried very hard to follow them, but there were lots of things, lots of those things. I would look at you. Why did that happen? Why did he do that? You know. Well, and they kind they of were, would come and go. On the last podcast that we did, when I mentioned this book for the first time, I said that my favorite thing about it was that it put together a lot of the pieces for me. Things just snapped into place. So now all of a sudden I could say, okay, I remember that. I didn't understand it at the time, but now I see it from this different perspective. It made things make sense for me. And uh, that that was really helpful. And obviously he's an outstanding writer. Oh I mean, gosh, we've, he's a great writer. We've talked about that before, but his voice, his tone, um, he, he puts himself across very well. It's very readable. It's very relatable. Um he really brings out who he is as a person, as a human being in this book. And instead of just, this is me, this is my policy, all those things, this is, this is why also as a human being I did this, why I thought that was good to do as a person. And um, that, that the gorgeous writing that goes with it just really, really helps set it all off. And and the end result often is that you do get more context for him as a person, which is harder and harder to get in the current political climate between the, the kind of fetishization of celebrity, celebrity which obviously comes that, up with the president heavily, yeah. and then just the 24-hour news cycle, the way that nothing can pass without remark or comment or rebuttal on somebody else's comment or comment on the rebuttal on the comment, you know, it, it all bogs down and so it's really it, it's, it's it's kind of a dangerous path to go down for whoever is president and it's hard to live that way oh undoubtedly, undoubtedly. it's hard to make good decisions in that way so I, I told you this by the way and I'll, I'll throw it out there for podcast listeners I didn't mention it last time 
But funny enough, before <laughs> I started this, I had read a biography of George Washington. And I'm looking as I speak, I'll give you the name. But between the two, I thought, you know what? This is a fun reading goal. So this is probably going to carry beyond 2021. It may carry beyond 2022, depending on how long all the uh, books I read are. But I'm going to do a biography and possibly an autobiography of every U.S. president. The Washington book was part of the Arthur Schlesinger series on the lives of the presidents, James McGregor Burns and Susan Dunn. Pretty short little biography of Washington. But one of the things that stood out was that Washington, who's regarded as this even-keeled, stern-jawed observer above the fray, he hated getting ripped in the media. It just <laughs> tore him up. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who could not stand getting raked over the coals in the newspaper. Well, we forget that presidents are human beings and... What is said about them, even from strangers, has to matter some. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That You go ahead and finish, and then I'll say So I, I've, I've done Washington. I'm working on David McCullough's massive and brilliant John Adams biography. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll be finished with that in time to talk about it next time around. I've got my Jefferson book picked out. So, I mean, this is going to get interesting when we hit Martin Van Buren and Zachary (laughs) Taylor. I mean, y'all are going to find out how many biographies actually are written about some of these people. Be some dry reading right there. It could be, but uh, but McCulloch is outstanding. But that'll that'll be saved for another day. Um, You know, we'll see. It's an interesting canon, and lo and behold, I'm coming back to it. Uh, Like you say, when when I did this the first time around, it tended to be the little. They'd be like yellow and blue covered mm-hmm. uh, hardcover biographies yes. for elementary school students. And uh, I'll probably get a little earthier material. You do with McCullough. He definitely gets inside of John Adams's life. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what I can glean uh, about the past that will help inform the present and the future. <laughs> Um, But A Promised Land was a fabulous book. Whether you like Obama or you didn't like Obama, it's worth a read just to for look into those policies and um, for the reasons that he did the things he did. If you um, read it, you might find that you do also, like we did, enjoy the glimpses into who he is as a person also. Yeah, yeah. A phenomenal book. He he did a great job. And again, it made me want to start this whole crazy quest again. So like I say, bear with me. We'll, uh, I'm looking forward to this. We'll move along. Well, I get through this, then I've got to pick up my Faulkner thing, which I haven't done in a long time. So this is it. I just cover my life in writing goals. <laughs> you make a lot of reading goals. My reading goals are basically, let's find something that's pleasant. I just want to enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> well, that, that would be everything on the shelves that are groaning. But hey, make them groan more. <laughs> Reach out to us. Tell us what you're reading uh, what we might enjoy, what we might be missing, because, I mean, like Wendell Berry, people had told me, people had told you, it just took the right uh, day where it's like, oh, well, check that out. So we got some good stuff in the pipeline. I know on on my end, aside from John Adams, I'm delving into rap music. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. Shout out to uh, our son. Our son has gotten That's to That's his you. influence. He yes. wanted to read this book and he ain't going to read it, but I have. Um <laughs> What, what else am I working on? I mean, there, there's a little bit of everything going on. All the so. things we screen for our kids. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for joining us again this week. Um, we have enjoyed getting to share with you. And then to hear from those of you who have let us hear from you, you can leave us a review on any podcast app that you're listening to. And you can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. So 
Stay tuned. Thanks. And keep reading.